Chapter Thirty Six, Part Two of the Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lonnie Small. The Betrothed by Alessandra Manzoni. Chapter Thirty Six, Part Two. When Lucia could sufficiently command herself to speak, she exclaimed again, joining her hands, and raising her eyes to heaven, bathed in tears, "'Oh, most holy virgin, do thou help me! Thou knowest that since that night I have never passed such a moment as this. Thou didst succor me then, oh, succor me also now!' "'Yes, Lucia, you do right to invoke the Madonna.' But why will you believe that she, who is so kind, the mother of mercy, can have pleasure in making us suffer, me at any rate, for a word that escaped you at a moment when you knew not what you were saying? Will you only believe that she helped you then to bring us into trouble afterwards? If, after all, this is only an excuse, if the truth is that I have become hateful to you, tell me so, speak plainly." "'For pity's sake, Renzo, for pity's sake, for the sake of your poor dead, have done, have done. Don't kill me quite. That would not be a good conclusion. Go to Father Cristoforo, commend me to him, and don't come back here. Don't come back here.' "'I go, but you may fancy whether I shall return or not. I'd come back if I was at the end of the world, that I would.' And he disappeared." Lucia went and sat down, or rather suffered herself to sink upon the ground by the side of the bed, and resting her head against it, continued to weep bitterly. The lady, who until now had been attentively watching and listening, but had not spoken a word, asked what was the meaning of this apparition, this meeting, these tears. But perhaps the reader in his turn may ask who this person was. We will endeavor to satisfy him in a few words. She was a wealthy tradeswoman of about thirty years of age. In the course of a few days she had witnessed the death of her husband in his own house, and every one of her children, and being herself attacked shortly afterwards with the common malady, and conveyed to the lazaretto, she had been accommodated in this little cabin. At the time that Lucia, after having unconsciously surmounted the virulence of the disease, and equally unconsciously changed her companions several times, was beginning to recover and regain her senses, which she had lost since the first commencement of her attack in Don Ferrante's house. The hut could only contain two patients, and an intimacy and affection had very soon sprung up between these associates in sickness, bereavement, and depression, alone as they were in the midst of so great a multitude such as could scarcely have arisen from long intercourse under other circumstances. Lucia was soon in a condition to lend her services to her companion, who rapidly became worse. Now that she too had passed the crisis, they served as companions, encouragement, and guards to each other, had made a promise not to leave the lazaretto except together, and had, besides, concerted other measures to prevent their separation after having quitted it. The merchant woman, who, having left her dwelling, warehouse, and coffers all well furnished, under the care of one of her brothers, a commissioner of health, was about to become sole and mournful mistress of much more than she required to live comfortably, wished to keep Lucia with her, like a daughter or sister, and to this Lucia had acceded, 
with what gratitude to her benefactress and to Providence the reader may imagine. But only until she could hear some tidings of her mother, and learn, as she hoped, what was her will. With her usual reserve, however, she had never breathed a syllable about her intended marriage, nor of her other remarkable adventures. But now, in such agitation of feelings, she had at least as much need to give vent to them, as the other a wish to listen to them. And clasping the right hand of her friend in both hers, she immediately began to satisfy her inquiries, without further obstacles than those which her sobs presented to the melancholy recital. Renzo, meanwhile, trudged off in great haste, toward the quarters of the good friar. With a little care, and not without some steps thrown away, he at length succeeded in reaching them. He found the cabin. Its occupant, however, was not there, but rambling and peeping about in its vicinity. He discovered him in a tent, stooping toward the ground, or indeed almost lying upon his face, administering consolation to a dying person. He drew back and waited in silence. In a few moments he saw him close the poor creature's eyes, raise himself upon his knees, and after a short prayer get up. He then went forward and advanced to meet him. "'Oh!' said the friar, on seeing him approach. "'Well?' "'She's there. I found her.' "'In what state?' "'Recovered, or at least out of her bed.' "'The Lord be praised!' "'But,' said Renzo, when he came near enough to be able to speak in an undertone, "'there's another difficulty.' "'What do you mean?' "'I mean that. You know already what a good creature this young girl is, but she's sometimes rather positive in her opinions. After so many promises, after all you know of, now she actually tells me she cannot marry me, because she says—oh, how can I express it? In that night of terror her brain became heated. That is to say, she made a vow to the Madonna. Things without any foundation, aren't they? Good enough for those have knowledge and grounds for doing them, but for us common people that don't well know what we ought to do, aren't they things that won't hold good? Is she very far from here? Oh, no, a few yards beyond the church. Wait here for me a moment, said the friar, and then we'll go together. Do you mean that you'll give her to understand? I know nothing about it, my son. I must first hear what she has to say to me. I understand, said Renzo, and he was left, with his eyes fixed on the ground and his arms crossed on his breast, to ruminate in still unallied suspense. The friar again went in search of Father Vittore, begged him once more to supply his place, went into his cabin, came forth with a basket on his arm, and returning to his expectant companion, said, Let us go. He then went forward, leading the way to the same cabin, which a little while before they had entered together. This time he left Renzo outside. He himself entered, and reappeared in a moment or two, saying, Nothing. We must pray, we must pray, now, added he. You must be my guide. And they set off without further words. The weather had been for some time gradually becoming worse, and now plainly announced a not very distant storm. Frequent flashes of lightning broke in upon the increasing obscurity, and illuminated with momentary brilliancy the long, long roofs and arches of the porticos, the cupola of the temple, and the more humble roofs of the cabins, while the clasps of thunder, bursting forth in sudden peals, rolled rumbling along from one quarter of the heavens to the other. 
the young man went forward intent upon his way, and his heart full of uneasy expectations, as he compelled himself to slacken his pace, to accommodate it to the strength of his follower, who, wearied by his labors, suffering under the pressure of the malady, and oppressed by the sultry heat, walked on with difficulty, occasionally raising his pale face to heaven, as if to seek for freer respiration. When they came in sight of the little cabin, Renzo stopped, turned round, and said with a trembling voice, "'There she is!' They enter. "'See, they're there!' exclaimed the lady from her bed. Lucia turned, sprang up precipitately, and advanced to meet the aged man, crying, "'Oh, whom do I see? Oh, Father Cristoforo!' "'Well, Lucia, from how many troubles has the Lord delivered you?' You must indeed rejoice that you have always trusted in him. Oh, yes, indeed, but you, father, poor me, how you are altered. How are you? Tell me, how are you? As God wills, and as by his grace, I will also, replied the friar with a placid look. And drawing her on one side, he added, Listen, I can only stay here a few moments. Are you inclined to confide in me, as you have done hitherto? Oh, are you not always my father? Then, my daughter, what is this vow that Renzo has been telling me about? It's a vow that I made to the Madonna not to marry. But did you recollect at this time that you were already bound by another promise? When it related to the Lord and the Madonna, no, I didn't think about it. My daughter, the Lord approves of sacrifices and offerings when we make them of our own. It is the heart that he desires, the will. But you could not offer him the will of another, to whom you had already pledged yourself. Have I done wrong? No, my poor child, don't think so. I believe, rather, that the Holy Virgin will have accepted the intention of your afflicted heart, and have presented it to God for you. But tell me, have you never consulted with anyone on this subject? I didn't think it was a sin I ought to confess— and what little good one does, one has no need to tell. Have you no other motive that hinders you from fulfilling the promise you have made to Renzo? As to this, for me, what motive? I cannot say. Nothing else, replied Lucia, with a hesitation so expressed that it announced anything but uncertainty of thought, and her cheeks, still pale from illness, suddenly glowed with the deepest crimson. Do you believe— resumed the old man, lowering his eyes, that God has given to his church authority to remit and retain, according as it proves best, the debts and obligations that men may have contracted to him? Yes, indeed, I do. Know, then, that we who are charged with the care of the souls in this place have, for all those who apply to us, the most ample powers of the church, and consequently that I can, when you request it, free you from the obligation, whatever it may be, that you may have contracted by this your vow. But is it not a sin to turn back, and to repent of a promise made to the Madonna? I made it at the time with my whole heart, said Lucia, violently agitated by the assault of so unexpected a hope, for so I must call it, and by the uprising, on the other hand, of a terror fortified by all the thoughts which had so long been the principal occupation of her mind. "'A sin, my daughter!' 
said the father, a sin to have recourse to the church and to ask her minister to make use of the authority which he has received from her, and she has received from God? I have seen how you two have been led to unite yourselves, and assuredly, if ever it would seem that two were joined together by God, you were, you are those two. Nor do I now see that God may wish you to be put asunder, and I bless him that he has given me, unworthy as I am, the power of speaking in his name, and returning to you your plighted word. And if you request me to declare you absolved from this vow, I shall not hesitate to do it. Nay, I wish you may request me. Then, then, I do request you, said Lucia, with a countenance no longer agitated except by modesty. The friar beckoned to the youth, who was standing in the furthest corner, intently watching, since he could do little else, the dialogue in which he was so much interested, and on his drawing near pronounced in an explicit voice to Lucia, "'By the authority I have received from the church, I declare you absolved from the vow of virginity, annulling what may have been unadvised in it, and freeing you from every obligation you may thereby have contracted.' Let the reader imagine how these words sounded in Renzo's ears. His eyes eagerly thanked him who had uttered them, and instantly sought those of Lucia, but in vain. "'Return in security and peace to your former desires,' pursued the Capuchin, addressing Lucia. "'Beseech the Lord again for those graces you once besought to make you a holy wife, and rely upon it, that he will bestow them upon you more abundantly after so many sorrows.' And you, said he, turning to Renzo, remember, my son, that if the church restores to you this companion, she does it not to procure for you a temporal and earthly pleasure, but even could it be complete and free from all intermixture of sorrow, must end in one great affliction at the moment of leaving you, but she does it to lead you both forward in that way of pleasantness which shall have no end. Love each other as companions in a journey with the thought that you will have to part from one another, and with the hope of being reunited for ever. Thank heaven that you have been led to this state, not through the midst of turbulent and transitory joys, but by sufferings and misery, to dispose you to tranquil and collected joy. If God grants you children, make it your object to bring them up for Him, to inspire them with love to Him and to all men and then you will train them rightly in everything else. Lucia, has he told you, and he pointed to Renzo, whom he has seen here. Oh, yes, father, he has. You will pray for him. Don't be weary of doing so, and you will pray also for me. My children, I wish you to have a remembrance of the poor friar. And he drew out of his basket a little box of some common kind of wood, but turned and polished with a certain Capuchin precision, and continued, Within this is the remainder of that loaf. The first I asked for charity, that loaf of which you must have heard speak. I leave it to you. Take care of it. Show it to your children. They will be born into a wretched world, into a miserable age, in the midst of proud and exasperating men. Tell them always to forgive, always everything, everything, and to pray for the poor friar. So saying, he handed the box to Lucia, who received it with reverence, 
as if it had been a sacred relic. Then, with a calmer voice, he added, "'Now, then, tell me, what have you to depend upon here in Milan? Where do you propose to lodge on leaving this? And who will conduct you to your mother, whom may God have preserved in health?' This good lady is like a mother to me. We shall leave this place together, and then she will provide for everything. God bless you, said the friar, approaching the bed. I, too, thank you, said the widow, for the comfort you have given these poor creatures, though I had counted upon keeping this dear Lucia always with me. But I will keep her in the meanwhile. I will accompany her to her own country, and deliver her to her mother. And, added she, in a lower tone, I should like to provide her wardrobe. I have too much wealth, and have not one left out of those who should have shared it with me. You may thus, said the friar, make an acceptable offering to the Lord, and at the same time benefit your neighbor. I do not recommend this young girl to you, for I see already how she has become your daughter. It only remains to bless God, who knows how to show himself a father even in chastisement, and who, by bringing you together, has given so plain a proof of his love to both of you. But come, resumed he, turning to Renzo and taking him by the hand. We two have nothing more to do here. We have already been here too long. Let us go. Oh, father, said Lucia, shall I see you again? I, who am of no service in this world, have recovered, and you— It is now a long time ago— replied the old man, in a mild and serious tone, since I besought of the Lord a very great mercy, that I might end my days in the service of my fellow-creatures. If he now vouchsafes to grant it to me, I would wish all those who have any love for me to assist me in praising him. Come, give Renzo your messages to your mother. Tell her what you have seen, said Lucia to her betrothed, that I have found another mother here, that we will come to her together as quickly as possible, and that I hope, earnestly hope, to find her well. "'If you want money,' said Renzo, "'I have about me all that you sent, and—' "'No, no,' interrupted the widow. "'I have only too much.' "'Let us go,' suggested the friar. "'Good-bye, till we meet again, Lucia, and to you too, kind lady,' said Renzo, unable to find words to express all that he felt in such a moment. "'Who knows whether the Lord in his mercy will allow us all to meet again?' exclaimed Lucia. "'May he be with you always, and bless you,' said Father Cristoforo to the two companions, and accompanied by Renzo, he quit the cabin. The evening was not far distant, and the crisis of the storm seemed still more closely impending. The Capuchin again proposed to the houseless youth to take shelter for that night in his humble dwelling. I cannot keep you company, added he, but you will at least be under cover. Renzo, however, was burning to be gone, and cared not to remain any longer in such a place where he would not be allowed to see Lucia again, nor even be able to have a little conversation with the good friar. As to the time and weather, we may safely say that night and day, sunshine and shower, zephyr and hurricane, were all the same to him at that moment. He therefore thanked his kind friend, but said that he would rather go as soon as possible in search of Agnesi. When they regained the road, the friar pressed his hand and said, If, as may God grant, you find that good Agnesi, 
salute her in my name, and beg her, and all those who are left, and remember Friar Cristoforo, to pray for him. God go with you, and bless you for ever. Oh, dear father, we shall meet again. We shall meet again? Above, I hope. And with these words he parted from Renzo, who, staying to watch him till he beheld him disappear, set off hastily toward the gate, casting his farewell looks of compassion on each side over the melancholy scene. There was an unusual bustle, carts rolling about, Monati running to and fro, people securing the curtains of the tents, and numbers of feeble creatures groping about among these and in the porticos to shelter themselves from the impending storm. End of chapter 36, part 2